We're all ready to go. All right. All right. We'll go ahead and get this meeting started. Welcome um, to the June Community Police Review Board meeting. Um, all right. So we'd like to start by welcoming our new board member, Jordan Bickford. Um, we're really happy to have you here with us and um, for our first in-person meeting as well. So welcome. Thank you. Um, I also want to uh, say happy birthday to Stephanie, who's celebrating today. That's why she's Whoa. not with us. So oh, happy birthday. Um, <laughs> she'll watch this later on. Um, okay. So we'll go ahead and Officer Wiltz, if you could read our Zoom statement for us. Sure. Thank you, Chair Robinson. Good evening. I have just a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and channel cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for the meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Chair Robinson. All right, thank you. Um, all right, well, we'll go ahead and get started um, by approving our May 12th minutes. Um, do I have a motion to approve those minutes? Or Vice Chair Mishra. Move. Oh, you don't have to do anything to that. I move. Okay. All right. Do we have a second? Uh, board member Salvini, I second. Okay. Um, all right. Let's take a vote um, to approve the May minutes. Uh, board member Minor. I, board member Minor. Board member Salvini. I, board member Salvini. Chair Robinson, I watched the meeting even though I was not present. Um, I. Or, uh, Vice Chair Mishra? Board Member Mishra, aye. Board Member Bickford? I'm going to abstain since I was not present. Okay, and Board Member, <laughs> I have to look for your last name, Taylor. <laughs> Thank you. All right, the vote passes. We've approved our May meeting minutes. All right, so now it's time for public comment. Mm -hmm. So the public is allowed to speak at public comment after first being recognized by the chair, except that any complaints or comments regarding indiv individually identifiable officers are not allowed. Rather, any such comments or complaints may be provided to the board in writing, and the board will forward such comment or complaint to the appropriate person within the Lawrence Police Department. The board may establish reasonable limitations on the allowable length of public comment. As a general practice, the board will not discuss or debate these items. Items, nor will it make decisions on items presented during this time. Um, do we have anyone, anyone here in person for public comment? Mr. Ravi. So is it Dave or Kurt? Is it Dave or Kurt? Gotcha. That's all right, Dave. I'll make you famous. I got some letters from an individual that I'm not going to be able to go through here. But I got to tell you, it's a damning portrayal. And it's proof 
I, I prove I can prove where I got them from. I'm wearing sunglasses because I have been in tears most of the day thinking about this shit. You lied to me. This man came here talking about change, talking about good things. <clears throat> came right out the gate, signing off on exonerations. Where's my exoneration that you're going to talk about tonight that I still haven't got? According to the LPD policy, I'm supposed to get notified when the, when the investigation's complete. But you have such disdain for me that you'll publicize it here and say, fuck him. You don't know what you're creating. You do not understand what you're creating. You're not a change agent. I gave these people to stop search hit rates from Warrensburg. You didn't do anything. Why were you so focused on Mexicans in 2020? They're watering down this process. They're going to get you to codify something they can work around and excuse, just like they do every other time. They won't get me like this most days. These letters did this to me today. And a couple of you up there already know that. People aren't willing to say this stuff to you, but I'll be damn sure I will. And the whole nation's going to hear this one. Because the way you treat people... It's incredible. I don't even know what else I can say. I'll wait until you're done and we'll see what else there is to say. Thank you, Michael. Do we have anyone uh, attending virtually with public comment? Oh, yes. Uh, thank you. Good to see you, public servants all. Uh, my name is Jeremy Roth-Gushel, Lawrence, Kansas. And um, I want to address some big macro issues that face all communities in the United States, all police departments in the United States that I don't believe we have really even dealt with much publicly in Lawrence. And I don't even believe I've seen some of these issues addressed in any of the local media, whether um, Journal World or Lawrence Times. And I think we need to address it. I think this group is a crucial group to address it. Post-September 11th, for the basically the entirety of the 21st century in the United States, we've had three macro structural things that escalated. One was the rise of Homeland Security. Along with that is fusion centers, federal harmonization, the rise of things like terrorism, uh, surveillance, database, uh, and then what I would like to talk about, the rise of biometrics and the rights of the, the people, we the people, to control our privacy, protected under the Bill of Rights. Number two, we've also had in the wake of September 11th, an exchange of, I would say, worst practices and training via command level staff in police departments around the country, sheriffs with um, the Israeli uh, security state. 
in the psychology of long-term occupation, ethno-supremacism, and how to create um, uh, two levels of citizens. That is also an exchange of technology, including I'd like to address whether we still have a contract for the Israeli intelligence started video analytic firm Briefcam. Um, and then thirdly, the both visible and invisible militarization of police the black uniforms that, that rose uh, in the last decades, the, um, the 1033 program where the sluffages of America's war efforts abroad have now come home. Now, in all these cases, I understand why police would want these things. They want to be protected. They want to reduce their workload in terms of video analytics. But I don't believe we've had a really a public conversation about the downside of of uh, of things like facial recognition, brief cam, um, just in a bigger context. I don't have time to deal with that tonight. I'd like to address that at some point. But my final point is I'd like to address the actual downside of the specific um, contracting. And I'd like to get a, uh, I would not like to sort of run after uh, folks uh, to get the information about this. Whether we still have this contract with Briefcam, Israeli intelligence started. I saw both the uh, Lawrence Police Department with uh, contracts with that and the Lawrence uh, School uh, uh, District with uh, contracts in that. So I'd like that information forthcoming. Um, and then finally, the security issues of Israeli intelligence firms being brought into the core of our both private and public security has a long history. The highest levels of counterintelligence in the United States say three countries are the biggest threat, China, Russia, and Israel. Israel is the only one that's said to be an ally. Um, and but they have shown themselves to be highly hostile in terms of macro technological backdoors. They've taken a lot of technology out of Silicon Valley. And, James, and meanwhile, you, James, would you be able to Jeremy, finish up? Oh, Jeremy, I'm yes. sorry. Would you be able to finish up in the next 30 seconds? Sure. All right. I'll, I'll wrap it up. OK, thank you. Um, so the there there's downsides to this technology in the big factor. If you think about facial recognition, the most uh, racially unjust aspect of it is is against African American women, who are over recognized, misrecognized, and then and then we also have to deal with the fact that these there's these back doors. Once you bring in Israeli intelligence into your fold, you are inviting um, a something like a Palestinification of the American people. So I would like um, a conversation about this to happen and I would like information from all involved parties. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jeremy. And I have uh, articles here uh, if folks are interested, including one titled, many police departments have software that can identify people in crowds, talking about brief cam to, uh, by Carolyn Haskins, BuzzFeed News, June, 2020, that identifies Lawrence as having that contract. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Do we have anyone else present for public comment? All right, um, we'll go ahead and move on to agenda item one, discussion of the community police oversight work group project charter. Um, right, uh, seems like the, the city uh, meeting went pretty well the other night. Um, do we have any items for discussion that we'd like to bring up tonight? Okay. 
And I'm trying to remember, how do we decide that we were going to choose the three board members to serve on that group? Board member Taylor, we did not discuss that at all. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I'm unclear if that's on the docket for tonight, or I believe the, um, the commissioners are bringing their nominations to the next meeting. So, so. that's why I think in the spirit of speed, mm -hmm. you should decide and whoever wants to go. Okay. I would seek volunteers. Okay. Whoever wants to go, unless you want to nominate. <laughs> yes. Is that uh, agreeable for everyone to go ahead and choose the three people to serve? Um, I guess I'd be interested to know if Stephanie was interested in serving yeah. as well. Board Mar Marie Taylor, I, I think that uh, since there's going to be a, a lag in time between they, when they appoint their community members, we may, we could probably table that for now. We don't need to decide that this meeting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One member Salvini, do we know a timeline on, on that? Is that going to be about two months? Two months for what? To, to have the final um, folks backgrounded and are, are they going to need to go through the whole process that we went through or are they just going to be appointed? It's my understanding uh, that the commissioners are bringing a nominee each. Okay. Yeah. Well, they need to be vetted, like backgrounded. That doesn't take long. Did you write it in your? No, we did not. <laughs> Board, we don't want any obstacles or barriers. Board member Marie Taylor, I don't think it's that's it's a formal process because it's set up as a work group. So okay. I don't, I don't think they're going to okay. do that process. I know that they, when listening to the meeting, they were concerned about making sure they had diverse representation on that board so there'll probably be some kind of collaboration mm -hmm. to, to achieve that somehow through the city manager's office yeah. so but, um, it seems like it's at least a, another 30 days before they yeah. have those folks picked out okay so i don't think there's a, an immediate need to for us to figure out from on our end who would be on that work group okay so uh before the next meeting, if we could think about if you know if you would like to serve on that meeting or on that um, that group, and then coming to our next meeting with that information. Okay, um, Board Member Salvini, we did uh, at the last meeting though talk about the awesome commitment um, that it will take to serve uh -huh. in terms of time and and interest. That's a good word to use because mm -hmm. <laughs> they they were considering two meetings a month. Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Okay. So that'd be something just to, to think about individually before our next meeting. Board member Murray Taylor may perhaps then this board, knowing that three of the members are going to be meeting on making it a, a, a large time commitment to the work group, that that might change whether we continue to do monthly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. During this time frame, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I think once that process gets started kind of reassess okay any other discussion about the um project charter i'm just having trouble getting the agenda up uh, if you uh go to chrome okay uh, on the very end um down there yeah mm -hmm. All right. Do we have any public comment on the discussion for community police oversight work group project charter? 
All I'm going to say is since it's going to be such a big time commitment and you guys are only appointing three members, I think you probably should go ahead and double up for redundancy and make sure to go ahead and get all six board members on there and make sure that you all can vote too, because the redundant votes get to vote too. But I think we need all six of you on there because it's a huge time commitment and we just don't know if we can make that scheduling, right? That's why we have extra people from the LPOA on it. That's why we have another person other than the chief on it. It's a huge time commitment. So we can't commit to solving our police problems two meetings a month. So we got to have extra people. So I think we need to have all the members on there. One more time. Is it Kurt or Dave? I got three minutes. Kurt or Dave? I won't hold up the meeting with his obstinance. I'll find out his name. Thank you, Michael. All right, um, moving on to agenda item two, overview of fair and impartial policing training. Um, I believe we have someone here in person and you've already passed out some handouts for us. Thank you. Madam Chair, if I might, before she gets started, it's Police Chief Rich Lockhart. Um, Sergeant Shipley, as she'll explain to you, is one of our trainers for fair and impartial policing. This is a program that we've used for several years in Lawrence. All of our officers have been through it, and we are planning a fair and impartial policing community seminar this fall. So we'll get that information to all of you and would love to see all of you at that. It'll be a day and a half seminar with uh, members of the police department and members of the community. And uh, we'll be going through this training and uh, working on uh, implicit bias and some of the ways that we've uh, incorporated this into our department. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Sergeant Shipley. Thank you. Uh, I gave you all some handouts to just have some general information about uh, fair and impartial policing, which I'll just refer to as FYP because it's just easier. Um, some of the general information is that it is science-based. It uh, applies to modern science to the bias that it's in law enforcement, and it trains officers on the effect of implicit bias and gives them the information and skills they need to reduce and manage their biases. So FIP, just a background on them, they began training law enforcement in 2008. In 2019, they did a whole overhaul of their curriculum, and um, that that overhaul finished in 2019. They released a new curriculum in 2000, or 2018, they released a new curriculum in 2019. As far as the department goes, we currently have three certified FIP instructors. Um, your certificate is good for two years. You attend a two and a half day course to become an instructor. And then every two years, you attend a uh, four hour training to recertify as an instructor. And only certified instructors are allowed to teach the FIP material. And then it's just given to us through uh, an LMS that's online. The trainings that we offer to the police department, every patrol officer goes to the patrol officer training, which is an eight hour course, is typically presented during the academy. Uh, the, the new part of the new training was they created a booster that was four hours um, that we actually presented in, April, in our training in April or in-service training in April. And um, that had some interactive videos. I like to use the words of choose your own adventure. So the video was uh, the really good, I, I think it's a really good video. The videos are actors, but it goes through part of it, and then you choose what you would pick to do, and then that dictates what happens next on the video. So it's really good training. It's very interactive. It follows in line with adult learning principles, keeps people engaged. Um, there are some new trainings that they offer. There's first-line supervisor training, and then there's law enforcement civilian training. 
As far as training requirements go, Kansas law requires that we do have an annual racial or other bias-based police training, which shall include, but is not limited to training relevant to racial or other bias-based policing. The department can either use an annual virtual training, which is typically provided by KLETC, and I'm sure that they do that because there are smaller agencies that have to meet that requirement and probably don't have instructors on their department. Uh, we're lucky enough to have instructors, so we're able to give it in person during our in-service training. And like I said, again, this year we did the uh, FIP booster in our April in-service training. So on top of annual training, I would like to point out that we do talk about a lot of FIP concepts in other trainings that are throughout the academy or throughout training with the, in our in-services. Um, myself alone, I teach uh, car stops, and that is talked about during car stop training. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. It's a very long PowerPoint for me to go through and find exactly where those things are. But those concepts are mirrored throughout all of our training. I recently just got out of the training unit, so I'm very confident in saying that those are, those are concepts that are well taught. Um, some additional information uh, on your handouts there. There's the website for uh, FIP. You can visit it. There's a lot of good information on there about uh, the trainings they offer. And I would like to point out that one of the trainings that they offer is actually for community uh, advisory boards. Our instructors aren't allowed to teach it. It's required by an FIP executive level instructor. It has a link on there to contact them if you guys are interested in looking into having that training. I don't know how much it costs. It doesn't say but it may be a good thing if you guys wanted to have more information. Those, those people, this is what they do every day. So they would have more information than maybe what I do. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any questions? Um, Marie Taylor, um, board member. I just wanted to point out that the website that's on the uh, handout is www.fipolicing.com for those who are watching or listening who want to follow up on that. Thank you. Do you think that we can maybe have this document um, attached to the next agenda for the public to have access to? Sure, I can send it in an email. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, board member Miner, uh, when you talked about the booster training, that's like a virtual real life training. Is that is that what you described there? So it's still in person, it's part PowerPoint and then it's part these choose your own adventure videos. Okay. So the videos that you display the video, it goes through a small portion of it and then there are options um, because we had, you know, 20 people in the class, I would just take a, a majority vote of, Hey, what do we think is the good option here? And then it, you click the option and it shows the outcome of what that option would be. And what would be some of those options or those choices they may go through like a city scene or a, uh, country scene. I mean, so, so the two videos you describe an example of what uh, the two, scenes. the two videos that were on there. Um, one was a trans community member that came and reported a sexual assault. Um, and so it went through, there's an officer that has bias and it shows that, and then there's an officer that doesn't, and then you're supposed to, you actually choose what each officer does to help, uh, to see what happens. And then the, the other video was, uh, suspicious activity, um, had to do with, uh, some people in a parking lot. And in that speci uh, specific video, excuse me, you get to pick what you do as the officer and what you do as the occupants of the vehicle. So it is, it is very interactive. It's very intense. I wish I could describe it better. It may be something that if we had more time, I could show you all. Um, but it, it's very good. Uh, board member minor. Are you, is the officer graded 
on that or given given any feedback in regards to that booster training? So uh, I, I guess, are they graded on their decisions that they make? Correct. Um, not necessarily because it was done as a group. It's not an individual. Like I don't do it with just a single person. Um, so there's no grades given, but there is discussion about what each option may imply. Support. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you go. Okay. I just have a couple of questions. You may or may not, and maybe maybe Chief, you can do this. But um, so um, I'm trying to build a framework context of this. So this training is required. Correct. Okay. And then I'm oh, I'm wondering about in terms of the volume of training that you get. Where does dealing with implicit bias or fair and impartial policing come in on the larger scale? So this year it was two hours out of our eight hour training. So it was 25%. 25%. And then it's also worked in as, as Sergeant Shipley said, it's like in the afternoon we were doing car stops mm -hmm. and training on car stops. So it's so worked it's into that as well. Yes. Okay. Throughout and, training. Yeah. And that leads me to my next question in terms of integration of, of, you know, the training and how it's applied and how it's reviewed and how it's embedded in the culture. Right. Um, so where would be some examples of that um, through in, in everyday policing, uh, maybe a police review, for example, uh, in, in many agencies or in my agency in my university, we make sure that safety is always reviewed for every situation, regardless of what it is. So was there a safety issue to be, um, discovered or considered, or if there was, how did we deal with it? Um, and so does something like that come into play when you're reviewing cases or how, what does that look like in everyday life in terms of incorporating it into the culture? I'm going to ask Major Cooper to take that. He's in charge of our training and office of professional accountability. So if you're talking about, are you talking about a calls for service that we would respond to? Or are you talking about training? I guess I don't know. Yeah, uh, in, embedding what you're learning into the culture of how you police. Into, like, yeah. Everyday police. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it all starts with front. Casey, can you use the microphone? Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> sorry. It is kind of hard to turn. Sure. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, um, it all starts with frontline supervision. So when we have, we've, we've worked over the last year um, with, with the LPOA on getting more supervisors out on the street. So we implemented this police officer two program, which is officers that have been at, um, been on the department for a while and they've met certain tiers within the department, which is having done different assignments, um, different projects. They've been, um, one of the things was uh, uh, how they treat the public, kind of what our, our uh, guiding principles are. Um, uh, I can't think of the word, right? Procedural justice, sorry. So one of the things that we looked at was procedural justice in placing. So part of that process was doing random audits of in-car videos, seeing how they interacted on traffic stops, calls for service. Then that's how we selected the PO2s. So what the PO2s did is they were re-enhancement for supervision out on the street um, to our everyday patrol sergeants. So now we have more frontline supervisors that have an expectation of holding people accountable and making sure that we are following all the processes outlined policies and procedures, also within training as well. Um, then when it comes down to, obviously, like you said, reviewing the incident after the fact, um, th that is done by the patrol supervisors, the sergeants or the lieutenants who's ever working that night, they will review the case. They review the case in terms of reading it for content, reading it for, you know, should more follow-up be done? Is this good? Does modifications need to be made? Maybe there was the, the report wasn't written 
well, so just send it back, something like that. Then the next layer in that process, once that gets approved, then if there's charges, those cases get sent to the district attorney's office, mm -hmm. it's the district case, or to municipal court um, for review. So there's different levels for that to make sure that the, the procedural justice side of it is in there. And really to answer your question, how do we integrate the fair and impartial policing side to it? It really just comes down to um, the expectation of the chief, command staff, and our, and our policy outlines and getting those frontline supervisors out there. And really it's, it's a value-based policy that we have in Lexpol and then teaching like what um, Sergeant Shipley is talking about into from day one of the academy through a 32-year career is making sure that we are putting those values out there. I don't know if I answered your question. But. It's attention to it. That's important. So, yeah. So I think my question piggybacks what, the, what they're talking about. Did I hear it right? This is board member Mishra. Uh, did I hear it right that there's no pre-post evaluation of the trainings that you do for fair and impartial police? Are you talking of the individual people who... Yes. Yes. participate okay yes. you're not how well they did how well they understood how well i wanted to make sure you weren't talking about the instructor no <laughs> instructor is five out of five yes um in the initial the police officer program that full eight hour course there is a pre and post evaluation that is given it is not given in the booster though okay okay so we know that it is having an impact mm -hmm. and then i was also looking at at the macro level or the department level has this helped the police department? Has this made us more impartial? I would say it has. Do we have data? Um, not for me. I, I, I don't know how we could uh, do that data. Out of all four of us that's in, in this room, I'm the longest serving for the Lawrence PD, and I will tell you that this hands down is the best bias-based policing training I've ever gone to. Okay. is the, the fair and impartial policing. And really where Sergeant Shipley talks about these scenarios that are kind of interactive, I don't think I've ever been a part, and you, you know, you've been here for a while too, is this has sparked so much conversation when we do these. Is people were like, hey, let's go back and see how the citizens of the car stop. Mm -hmm. Like, what is their perspective? You know, what do they feel? What would they do? And, you know, seeing it from that standpoint too. So I really think, you know, this two-hour training probably went over two hours. Yeah. Because of just the conversation that was sparked, you know, whether it was dealing with the trans victim of the sexual assault, seeing what that was like, and then people telling stories like, you know what, I, I dealt with something like that too. And, you know, developing that empathy towards people, that's really where this class, this training takes it all the time. So. I think it's good to note, too, in the um, the transgender person who was reporting the sexual assault, it covers to the responsibility of an officer who sees it to report it and say something okay, and to stop it, which I think in previous trainings maybe was implied but not said. It was very obvious in this training that um, just as if we were to see an officer using too much force, we have the duty to intervene. We also have a duty to intervene if we see an officer that is treating somebody unfairly. Okay, and thank you, thank you. And that's board member Mishra, and that sort of that space is where I was hoping we'd go to say, look, earlier we wouldn't do this, now we are doing this. So if we put out a fair and impartial policing measure, we'd be doing better year on year. I would say so. If it was if if it was something that was easily measurable, yes. 
and I, I think also, um, this is police chief Rich Lockhart, we're talking about implicit bias. It's something that's difficult to measure. So I know you all are very data driven from some of your professions. Um, even getting a baseline for what implicit bias is, is difficult. So with these um, scenarios, what it does is it allows the officers to, as a group, discuss how would you handle this? And it does give that unique perspective from both sides of the coin. And then we, in, in the training, the day I was in there, we went through and everybody made the right decision. So the right decision is not to escalate, to understand folks and, and do the right thing. Um, we also went back to see what would happen if we didn't make the right decision, if we chose to escalate. So for example, the people in the car in the grocery store parking lot, it's two black guys listening to loud music and they get a suspicious person call. Um, and the right decision is to go up and to, to confront, to talk to the guys and say, Hey, look, we got this call. And then the guys can respond aggressively and escalate. And then the officers do a good job de-escalating. And then we flip the script and, you know, the guys are compliant, the officers aggressive and see how that would go. And so it's a really robust program and, and fair and impartial puts all of this out. They, they are, in my opinion, the gold standard for fair and impartial training in the, in the, in the nation and the world. Uh, they just finished up training the NYPD, all 35,000 members. And uh, they're, they're just, it's a really great program. Um, this was one of the programs I wanted to bring here when I came here. And uh, so I was really impressed to find out that not only was it already here, but they had been doing it for several years. So that you, you can know that your department, your Lawrence Police Department is training their people on the gold standard for fair and impartial training. And I wanted to make sure that you guys could hear that tonight, because I don't think that's something that you were made aware of before now. Sure. Sorry, I just have a... Okay, go ahead. You go. You go, Jordan. I don't want to interrupt. You can finish your question. I was going to say, thank you, Chief, for the update or for the clarification. But as a citizen, I would say, great that they discuss it when the training is happening. But what is important is how they interact with me. Absolutely. And I am not hearing that we have a measure for that. Well, because so your implicit bias is an unconscious bias. So it's not something that you're actively aware of. So what the training talks about is becoming aware of your unconscious bias and learning how to recognize that that's happening and control that to make a fair decision. So, so it would be hard to measure because you would have to essentially ask everybody what they believe their unconscious bias is, which if it's unconscious you might not know. I, I would not. I so so in in my perspective, in my interaction, the way I would look at it is, if there were evident biases that the department encountered in the last year or the five years out, and today that's declined. So implicit bias by itself is very difficult to measure. Yes, that's the term. <laughs> It's very difficult to measure, but at a macro level, at a community level, it's, it has to show up. It will show up. I wonder if the safe and secure measures would capture that uh, perception of interactions with police. Yes, the third, four and five. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is board member Minor. Uh, I'm in agreement with the other board members that in order to establish any type of baseline, though, sometimes you just got to shoot in the dark and uh, and just get something started or reached out, reach out to other organizations with that across the United States and see how they measure 
uh, implicit bias or uh, very impartial? Well, what are they doing to how to measure themselves? Because any organization that says we're doing very well here from the people from the private industry will say, uh, the data. show me the data. Yeah. But yeah, board member Bickford, um, didn't you say that there was at the academy level, the introductory, there was a pre and post evaluation at that point? There is. But then it isn't done during the booster. So what are those evaluation metrics? Are those publicly available? Is that something that we could utilize at this stage? Um, I don't know that it's necessarily publicly available. Um, it's it's a, I'd have to look it up. To, I don't want to answer the question and not be correct. Sure. Yeah. Just, um, if there is an evaluation metric that's utilized at some point in the process, then it's possible that we could explore that further to bringing it into ongoing training. Just And also my other comment is that we're doing this interactive training on a group level, and it is harder to identify implicit bias in general, but in a group setting, you're going to have some folks speaking in one direction and others who might have responded in a different way in an individual basis. So I think that there's some thought to consider, whereas we're doing it in a group setting, are we getting the same metrics that we'd be seeing if we were doing it on an individual basis? And perhaps that leads to a better evaluation of the process for each person. Just to get to your point, this is a branded curriculum that we can't change. So we're, we're teaching this curriculum because it's been vetted by the fair and impartial policing organization. So some of the questions you have would be something that we would have to ask them. And, uh, and so what Sergeant Shipley speaking to is what she's been trained on through the train, the trainer process. So these are really good points, um, but um, not things that are part of this curriculum. So the idea was to bring this curriculum to you, show you what your officers are being trained on and, and go from there. Great. I think it's a great start. Please. Thank you. Board member Minor, uh, could you briefly describe the uh, law enforcement civilian piece to this? Is that like a, a citizens training or uh, like a citizens academy? Uh, uh, give give a brief explanation of what sure. The the law enforcement civilian is for our civilian staff that works for the police department. Okay. The the uh, if you're talking specifically a training that would be available to you guys and would be uh, good for you guys to attend would be the, the community training. So that one is for community advisor, advisor boards. And I imagine that a lot of those questions that you have asked me, um, the executive level trainer from FIP would have much better answers than I have. And I will uh, reiterate uh, the chief's point there. A lot of their material is copyrighted. So when you ask if we can share some of it, uh, there are some there's some legal stuff there. Uh, we have to sign a contract with them that we would have to verify with them if we were allowed to share those or use those to uh, make data. And you'll, that's the one, the form I was talking about is one we're going to be bringing this fall, the community form. It's a police community form. So I think that would be a great time to explore some of these. Uh, Dr. Lori Friedel, who um, created the program and the, the FIP Institute, will actually be the trainer we'll have here. So we'll have the person that's been doing this the longest. She's one of our country's foremost experts on uh, implicit bias, on fair and impartial policing, and also traffic stop data collection. So it'll be a, a great opportunity for all of us to ask those questions and to get some good answers. That'll be coming up in October, October 4th and 5th. Board member Marie Taylor, that form, that's the, the form you're talking about that is open to 
anyone in the public? No, it won't be anyone. We're limited to 30. So we'll, we'll be um, inviting select members from our community and, um, and it, to be part of that and uh, probably uh, working closely with you all to see who of you will be able to attend as well. Board Member Bickford, um, how are you planning to select the individuals who will be invited to that? We haven't gotten that far yet. Okay. Well, this is, we just, uh, Casey and I just talked today about uh, getting the date firmed up and um, it's uh, the seminar is being hosted by the police department. So we'll uh, be working with uh, our community members that uh, our community leaders to help identify folks who want to have be part of that. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions or discussion from the board? All right. Thank you, Sergeant. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, do we have any public comment on this agenda item? I don't know how they're going to select the community members, but I bet I know how they're going to select the ones that can't go. And I guarantee I'm probably on that list. And a little bit ago, you heard a Freudian slip because they come in here and they speak nice words to you guys. And what you just heard was the chief say, or almost to say that we're going to confront them because that's the way police officers think about it. They're not thinking about walking up and talking because that's not what they do. They walk up and they take control. They confront. That was the word that was about to come out of his mouth. You all heard it. It's confront, chief. That's the police language. And you should go ahead and use that language in here because I'm sure they can handle it. And we need some honesty. Implicit bias is hard to measure. But there's no effort to measure it. Everything that you guys brought up, what I heard here was a reason why it can't happen. Copyrighted materials. We can't change the training. I don't give a damn if you can change the training. You need to change something on the street. That's for sure. Because the guy that your officers threw off the porch after stalking their house pled guilty to a bullshit secondary crime and is now on probation. And I still haven't heard how the complaint worked out on that one. August 29th of 2021, I submitted that. How about it, Casey? Can I get a letter on that one? Implicit bias is tough to measure. I've been measuring it for a couple of years by experience and by witnessing it. Most of the crap that I come in here hopped up about is not even about me. It's about me watching other people get treated this way. Officers putting knees down on a guy that's been complaining about back pain and then working with EMTs to transport him away handcuffed. I forgot to mention that Tuesday night. The man was placed on a stretcher, handcuffed behind his back and strapped down, face down. Any of you guys got any medical training? Every single person that has any kind of medical knowledge whatsoever that I have said that to has looked at me with a look of just complete shock that that could ever happen. But it happened here. It's the gold standard, but it's brand new. It may be the gold standard, but your police department is not the gold standard. And you can do all the gold standard training you want, but until officers sit in a room and start talking about their implicit biases and recognizing their implicit biases, there's no discussion, they said. What the hell? How do you work through problems? We go to counselors. 
We talk. Why do you people not talk? Implicit bias is hard to measure, but it's a lot easier when you talk about it and you recognize it. But you're unwilling to do that because you can't change the program and the materials are copyrighted. That's a tough hope. Thank you, Michael. Any other public comment? All right, we can move on to the last agenda item, Chief Lockhart's reports. Uh, Chief Rich Lockhart, Lawrence Police Department. Uh, these are your uh, complaints that we handled for the month of May. Um, I think all of you have have now, Jordan, in case since you're new, uh, we started providing this to the board uh, in March. Uh, it's a list of all the complaints we handled. Um, we uh, didn't have a written report in March um, included in the packet, so we included in April's packet, January through April. So now you're just getting the month of May. So happy to answer any questions if you guys have any regarding the uh, three complaints that we handled for the month. Board questions? Uh, board, board member Minor. Uh, regarding the uh, PC 22-016 in May, it was stated unfounded. Could you give some explanation of what unfounded means? Unfounded means that the complaint was investigated and there was no facts to reveal that the officer was driving in an unsafe manner in this case specifically. Unfounded means there was no basis for the complaint. Okay. And, and once again, board member Minery, uh, discussion with the policeman and as well as the observant. Uh, was there any conversation there between those? I can ask Mr. Cooper to answer that for you. Yes. Okay. The complainant called in. Uh, on-duty sergeant called the complainant back um, who would only give their first name. Uh, we pulled the in-car camera and reviewed the in-car camera. Okay. And called the complainant back who didn't answer uh, and wouldn't return calls. Uh, Chief Lockhart, thank you for explaining the threshold for unfounded. Can you also say something about exonerated, um, what that would mean? Do you want to go take that one? Yeah, exonerated means that the complaint was investigated and uh, that it was with the department policy. But the fact that it occurred, but it, that it was with the department policy. Okay. Okay. This is board member Minor. In regards to complaints, uh, the Lawrence Police Department does have an online uh, form to fill out. And when you have these situations, uh, do you recommend that individual or individuals fill out the online form? Because some people maybe feel uncomfortable speaking directly on a phone or to a directly to a police officer. Is that a recommendation that is made during this investigation? We will, uh, Chief Rich Lockhart, we'll take a complaint from anyone any way we get it. Okay. So Major Cooper mentioned one we took over the telephone mm -hmm. and we still investigated it, even though we didn't know who the person was mm -hmm. or even though we couldn't make contact with them afterwards. So they can use the online form. They can call the Office of Professional Accountability. They can call the front desk. They can leave a letter. I mean, there's just about any way that you can think of for somebody to make a complaint. We will receive it that way. And that's very unique to, to this police department. There are a lot of departments out there that will make you uh, make an in person complaint. Uh, they won't accept anonymous complaints or they won't investigate complaints 
complaints that aren't sworn uh, have a signed sworn statement at the end of the complaint. Um, we don't require any of those things. We've removed just about every barrier we can. This board can take complaints and uh, and send them to us for investigation. So we are all about removing those barriers. But that's one of the things in the work group project that we want to look at is, are we doing the very best we can? We want um, you all and members of our community to take a look at our process from start to finish and find out if there's other ways that we uh, can improve that process. And um, just to follow up, uh, Board Member Minor, you have a person on the call, and I, um, excuse me for kind of restating the question, but, you know, they don't answer back. You say, hey, um, is that part of your procedure to say, hey, just want to let you know we were not able to get a hold of you, and uh, you please respond if you feel to. We have an online form on our such and such. We, you can write us and things like that. Just to remind that person, to get, like you mentioned, all the different opportunities that there are to respond back, maybe through that telephone call when they're not if they have voicemail or something of that nature, remind them, hey, we're reaching out to you and here's some avenues for you to reach back to us for. Is that part of the problem? Major, Major Cooper and his staff take any steps they can to get people okay. um, to return the call, to return calls, to make complaints. We follow up on anonymous third-party complaints. Mm -hmm. um, we're really doing everything we can to try and make sure that we get that complaint in and get it investigated. In the case that he was talking about with the traffic violation, since there wasn't a violation of policy, the officer wasn't driving unsafely, there wasn't a need to refer the person to an online form mm -hmm. for further follow-up. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I guess I was supposed to be doing as Casey Cooper made for keep forgetting that. Um, I was just going to say because of the, the question of how people can make complaints. So I do just want to remind anybody that does review this um, online or is watching this online, our our website will direct people to file uh, complaints on officers or members of the department. We have, you know, I was actually talking to a citizen out in, in the community the other day. They were actually talking about the citizen re review board. And we were just discussing stuff and, and this gentleman's question was, how does the general public make a complaint? And I talked about our policy. Within our policy, there's seven ways that are identified of how a citizen um, can contact the police department to make a complaint. You all are one of those seven steps, obviously. But the reality of it is, like I told this gentleman, is there's roughly 135 ways to make a complaint through every officer on the department, because every member of the department, to include sworn, non-sworn, and taking a complaint and forward it to their supervisor, and then that, that starts the process. The person that's making the complaint does not have to file a, a complaint form. It can be in person, it can be verbally, it can be over the phone. And like Chief said, it can be anonymous. We've set up um, an OPA, which is Office of Professional Accountability, and OPA at LKPD email. We have a phone number. We have the ability for people to call dispatch, the Attorney General's office. You all, I mean, we've, we've got several ways for individuals to contact the police department to, and, and, and not everyone is a complaint, right? So some of them is just, hey, I saw an officer doing this. Can you tell me about that? Is, um, you know, I saw this traffic stop. Please tell me about that. And, you know, not everything. We can't always give a, a person that's not associated with that, um, uh, the facts of what happened, but we can talk to them in, in generalities and, and look into the matter. We'll still take the, the complaint and we'll look into it. So, um, it is on our website. Our policy is on our website. Um, it's personnel complaints policy. I think it's 908. So if anybody wants to get on there and look at it. So. Could you repeat that again? You said 908? Okay. 909. I'm sorry.
Board Member Bickford, I'm sorry, I'm new here, but I heard you mention we'll start the process a few times and we kind of talked about a few steps in the process. Could you walk through that kind of generally for me, sure. like what that process is? So we have two like ways. How we get to this result? So let's just talk about the complaint process, not a question or a clarification. Um, no, like you're saying, there's a lot of ways to make a complaint and then we start the process to investigate. Okay. And so we've made some phone calls and there's an investigation and then we wind up with this report with unfounded, exonerated. Uh, there's one sustained here on this report. But can we get just an overview of what that process from receiving complaint to making this conclusion looks like? Sure. Casey Cooper, uh, Major Police Department. So each complaint is different um, because everything has different circumstances. So this is, we, we, get the, we receive the complaint from some form or fashion, right? So we got that complaint. That is reviewed by a supervisor, whether it's on the street or it's the lieutenant that works for me and the Office of Professional Accountability, however that comes in. We have two ways to investigate um, a complaint. We have an informal process and a formal process. Informal processes are complaints that are handled for matters that may not be repetitive or may be minor in nature. So, um, hey, I saw somebody, saw an officer um, run a stop sign. Right. That's an informal process that we would allow the patrol supervisor to deal with. Um, I, it, it's a minor infraction, right? It may still be a policy violation, but it doesn't rise to the level of the Office of Professional Accountability to necessarily be the primary investigator of that. So if it's an informal process, that assigned supervisor will do the investigation and they'll review body cameras, they'll review in-car cameras, they'll talk to the officer that's involved. And they'll talk to or try to make attempts to get involved uh, in contact with associated parties, whether people that were associated with that call or the complainant of that. Um, and we don't always get the cooperation. So we do have to just deal with the information we have. And the best source of that information to help us out is body-worn cameras and encouragement, right? Um, once that investigative report is completed, it then goes to the member's division commander. The division commander, which is the major, will review that case. They'll approve it or send it back to the assigned supervisor for further follow-up or clarification on stuff. Once it makes it through that process, then it goes to uh, the Office of Professional Accountability where the lieutenant that's over that uh, office will classify that as a sustained complaint, unfounded, or whatever the case may be. So now let's go back. The formal side would be something that is repetitive in nature. Maybe it's the multiple times that we've dealt with something that's a policy violation, or it's a lower policy violation that has occurred over a period of time, repeated times, or it is a very serious offense of whatever the nature may be. Racial profile, uh, bias-based policing, excessive use of force, things like that. That is the formal process. Formal process is generally handled by the Office of Professional Accountability, but may be assigned out to another supervisor, depending on the workload of the Office of Professional Accountability, maybe dependent upon the rank of the person, because we don't allow lieutenants to investigate lieutenants, we don't allow lieutenants to investigate majors, with the exception that the chief can assign it to whoever they want. Um, that process is the same thing. We interview the officers, everybody that's involved, witnesses, suspects, victims, whatever there is, any kind of evidence that's there, then that lieutenant or that supervisor that it may be assigned to, um, or the investigator, let's call them the administrative investigator, um, because we have had to sign step out to detectives for assistance in the past. Um, they would complete that. That goes to OPA. They give their case finding. Then that comes to me for review. I review the case. I give my recommendation. 
then it goes to the chief of police and the chief of police and state representation. That is both on the backside of a process with informal and formal processes, that piece is still there. So the lieutenant and OPA will classify it. I will review it. I will sustain, not sustain, unfounded, whatever the case may be, then it also goes to the chief of police on both processes. Okay. Thank you. Um, Follow-up question. Is that process documented somewhere in a public policy that I could... It outlines our informal... In, in that 909 policy, it outlines the process okay. of what an informal process is. And it outlines it for um, frontline supervisors through division commanders and the chief of police. And is there a, dis a, a distinction there between what would go through informal and formal? Yes. There, okay. There's a paragraph on... Okay. There's not a distinction if you're saying... Um, does this policy violation equate to this? No, it doesn't say that. It just talks about minor infractions, non-repetitive. Okay. Um, the problem with policing and, and policies and all that stuff, there's, that'd be a 300 page document that it, it's really gotta be up to the discretion of the supervisor to look at it at the front end. And then we start looking back at past history. This is Chair Robinson. Thank you for sharing that, Major Cooper. Um, at what point in that process do you input it into the tracking system that y'all have started using for complaints? So two different processes, right? I talked about, sorry, Casey Cooper, Major Police Department. Um, I talked about the two different processes. Informal, it gets done on the front end by the supervisors. Mm -hmm. Once it is, like let's say it's a field level supervisor, patrol sergeant can investigate these if they're assigned. That, once it's com uh, complete, it goes into our tracking system, our electronic employee log, the blue team, and it gets forwarded to the Office of Professional Accountability. And from that point forward, nobody else can see it except for the Office of Professional Accountability, and then on up to the chief. Uh, so it's like an automated process? Like it just kind of like gets input? Yeah, they put it into, um, I'm really bad at analogies, but let's just call it, it goes from the vehicle, to the warehouse and we store it where it needs to go and then it gets tracked through mm -hmm. in there and it gets stored in, in that system. Um, when it's OPA, OPA is the keeper of that. OPA is our Office of Professional Accountability. Again, they're the keeper of those records, they're the keeper of the, the OPA files. So they will do their reports, upload it in there, and then again, that lieutenant will bring it to me and then we take it to the chief. Yep. Board Member Minor, um, what was the last time you, this is going back to the online form, uh, excuse me, I'm a, I'm a data person, <laughs> I'm not a cell phone crazy person, <laughs> but uh, uh, if I was to do something like that or be involved in a situation like that, I more than likely would go to, a, to the online form. Uh, so my question is, um, When's the last time this online form was reviewed to see if it was user-friendly, uh, easy to access, things like that? Because sometimes someone is very familiar with a form can go right there and say, oh, there it is. But someone who hopefully never has to use that may have to they may have to find that on there. It may be embedded in a paragraph of things like that. How often do you all look at that or have you looked at it, something like that? Casey Cooper, Major of the Police Department. Um, I know that I was on our department website not too long ago looking at the, uh, the complaint side of it to access the form. So really just going to the lawrenceks.org police website. Mm -hmm. there. If you go to a final complement or complaint, mm -hmm. that'll direct you to the complaint form. And you can follow up that way. You also can walk into the, the police department and yes. feel comfortable that way. 
Um, you know, in, in fairness to your question of how easy is the form to fill out, mm -hmm. uh, I know what the form, you know, the process of the form, so yeah. I'm probably not the best person to ask that to. So I would say, if you all, I, I would I would right. ask you all to try to do that, right? Is to look at the form or find, have somebody, because we are open to that. You have a yeah. family member or somebody that's willing to do it for you to say, hey, get in there and file this and, or access it and see how easy it is. We're always open to, to look at it to make it easier. Like Chief said, we want it to be an easy process uh, because it is very important. And if I was to do that test, I promise I won't find a look for a junior high school or a high school kid because. <laughs> well, and just if you're going to do that, just designate it as a test complaint. Yes. And go through the process. This is part of what we'll do with our work group is we're going to go through this process from uh, start to finish. And that's, you know, have your eyes on it. We're going to have community members eyes on it. And we're going to get to a point where we have what we believe is the best complaint process um, for our community. Board member, Taylor. board member Murray Taylor. So about a couple of years ago, this board actually did look pretty thoroughly at that form mm -hmm. and where it was located on the website mm -hmm. and offered comments that were well received mm -hmm. by the um, by uh, leadership at the police department and made changes on that form to make it more user friendly. Yeah. We didn't do a test of the system. <laughs> with, so that's, that's another uh, aspect that is worth looking into for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but we definitely um, did make some changes to where it even was located because it was a little bit buried, yep. even uh, right. hard for any of uh, the board members to find. So um, there was progress made on that over, over the last mm -hmm. uh, couple of years. So thank you. Thank you for letting us know that too. Yeah. So, but, but as I was looking, board member Mishra, as I was looking at the three complaints, any of those have bias, implicit or explicit involved in it? No. Thank you. Board Member Salvini. Couple of things real quickly. I wanted to dovetail into what you said, Marie. So absolutely we did that. And in addition, I think the page became more robust as a result in adding the number of opportunities to file a complaint. I think that was another achievement that that we, we worked on um, collaboratively. So it was good. Um, then uh, the question that you just raised about whether or not, so how do you know, <laughs> right? There is that follow-up question. And that leads back to my earlier comment. And that is that, um, so what's the intentional exercise to be intentional about? Was there any, you know, a, a review, if you will, in each situation, a, a checklist, you know, and that might be where some of the data comes from, right? Because I was like thinking too much about that. Um, that that it's a very intentional exercise to say, okay, let's now talk about was there a checklist of was there any potential implicit bias, and what would that look like in this situation, and and what are our perimeters? What do we check? I'm sure there's plenty of research out there on this, right? Yep. To try to, to to just build it into the culture, right? To say, okay, yeah, we can assuredly say this, and we've got the data to suggest it in terms of what are the what's the criteria, right, um, to determine what might constitute implicit bias or not, right? I'm sorry if I'm getting too... I, well, and I, I think it's just, I think yeah. what you're talking about maybe um, is something we'll just have to look into. Sure, absolutely. I don't know if any, I mean, I've been a part of three police departments and I'm a part of a large number of professional groups. I've never, ever heard of a way to measure implicit mm -hmm. bias. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we measure when we get complaints, the way we know if it's there's some uh, some bias in the complaint, whether it's implicit or explicit, is the complainant tells us that. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one, um, I can't remember if it was April or March, where um, somebody felt like her um, family member was racially profiled. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't know why, except for the fact that her um, uh, grandson is a, a person of color. Um, she had no facts to support that. So we, we investigated that as a racial profiling complaint. But when we went through and looked at the, the body cam video, talked to the officer and talked to everyone involved, we made a determination that race wasn't a factor in that stop. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, a checklist. I mean, when you're talking about implicit bias, I don't know what those data points would be where you would say, I, I don't really know. So I think we just have to do some criteria. Research. Right. Yeah, for right. sure. Uh-huh. Um, one thing we do after the fact as well, right? The complainant is part of the incident mm-hmm. um, that could view it is we will, when we send them a letter notifying the finding of it, if they were part of that, we would allow them to come and see that portion. Of the that is not true for the NCAR camera. We have offered that up to, to people that we have called or talked to that have been a part of that. Um, in this incident, I believe the chief was just talking about. We talked to them and told them they could come in and watch the recording. I believe it was in that incident, but we do do that. Board member Pickford, sorry, is that a standing policy that's known to folks that if they're involved in an incident, they can see the footage? No, that's in state statute. If they're part of the recording, they can come in and request to, to review it if they are subject of that recording. Okay. Um, so, board member Salvini, I've just got another couple questions, and they're not about the complaints, but kind of related to it. And it's just a follow up since we we have you right now, um, Chief um, and Major. Um, and that is um, a couple of questions and talking about gold standard best practices, etc. Um, I'm wondering about the status of the accreditation. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because I do believe in, with regard to the accreditation, there are opportunities for expanded training and, and more approaches to best practices and, you know, generating data to support um, assertions or um, conclusions that you might come to. So we're, practice. you're talking about the Kalia accreditation mm-hmm. process. We've hired our accreditation manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, she will be going to a seminar in July. Uh, they have three uh, conferences a year. So her first one will be in July. Our plans are around August or September to launch that process. And uh, we wanted to get, we have three years from the time you sign the contract to mm-hmm. get accredited. Uh, we didn't want to sign the contract before we had our accredit manager in place because the clock's ticking. So for us, we got her hired, um, I believe it was March or April of this year. Um, she's kind of learning about the process. She'll go to the conference in July and then August or September we'll get signed up and then we'll have three years to get that accreditation done. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to guess with that accreditation, they're going to be some, um, you'll, you'll learn there as any accredited program knows the expectations for best practices, right? Yeah. They have 165, they have 165 standards that we have to meet. Right. And with each one of those standards, we have to have a proof mm-hmm. uh, that shows that we met the standard. That's if you don't have a proof, then you have to show that you've trained your officers on mm-hmm. the standard. There's also opportunities for community input mm-hmm. when they do the um, accreditation visits. Mm-hmm. And so they will meet with members of our community to talk about our police department and get some feedback during that process. Perfect. Thank you. Um, So another question I have real quickly is um, a few years ago, um, we talked about um, 
the reporting to the attorney general's office that's done annually, right? Um, on um, the, to the attorney general on nice. uh, bias-based policing. Um, <clears throat> and I think um, Lieutenant Ernst had been reporting historically about that. Um, and I'm just wondering about um, uh, some conversations that we had at the time um, and I'm sorry I didn't do my homework on this, um, but he was talking about, and perhaps the uh, law enforcement department down in Wichita does it, but some additional opportunities to increase um, um, some best practices through the attorney general's offices on, on bias-based policing. Uh, Marie? Uh -huh. Remember, Marie Taylor, I think it's, it's related to the yeah. comprehensive plan that you can put into place. We're we talking about the CityGate report. No, it's the it's under the statute. You can have a comprehensive plan for for uh, bias based policing, and it's under the Attorney General's office. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to do. I, I'm not, are you familiar with it, that? When they yeah. this, those are two ways yeah. to do it. Mm -hmm. it. It's it's is it the statute the KSA two two four six ten maybe I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> um, Anyway, so I was just wondering if we might look or what some updates are on that, because at the time, I don't know that there was a, a huge commitment of doing that, but yeah. it was it was something that was discussed. I'll, uh, I'll have to get back with you on that. I have not been okay. uh, a, a briefed on that or and Major Cooper has. I think um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Wichita law enforcement and then there's another uh, law enforcement. Um, there's the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center in Hutchison, mm -hmm. yeah. um, KLETC, that provides a lot of training throughout the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to follow up a little bit on that because, again, another opportunity for above and beyond practices, sure. which may help us in the accreditation. Just a suggestion. Um, and then um, um, the last is um, the most recent executive order from the president on May 25th on advancing effective, accountable um, policing uh, and criminal justice practices. Um, so is there, I know it was May 25th, that wasn't very long ago. If, if, if you've received any um, directives from the attorney general um, locally on how, how that might um, roll out here? We've not. Okay. All right. And Thanks. also, just for clarification, I'll be here every month, so you'll always have me here. <laughs> okay, I will. I just thought, well, this might be interesting, so I didn't know if there was yeah. any conversation or any initial introduction right. from the Attorney General's office. Oh no, I was Department saying that of you, Justice. You mentioned while you have me, you're stuck with oh. me for a while. <laughs> and, so. and thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for reminding yeah. me about that. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, I was just. I'll take a look at it. I haven't had a chance to review it either. But we. Sure. I'll, I'll, one of the things I found is that a lot of the things that have been coming out uh, with police accountability, things like banning no-knock search warrants things like uh, no chokeholds. There are things we're already doing here. Mm -hmm. um, I met with Justice Matters and they were asking me if we could have a policy where we do a notice to appear on city ordinance and minor misdemeanors. And, and we already do that. And so a lot of these things, I think, is just a part of us telling our story better. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a very progressive police department that uh, already does a lot of these things. And I think a lot, a lot of the members of our community are not familiar with some of those things. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, we'll uh, we'll take a look at it and um, and let you know if we're meeting some of those accountability things. And if there we're not, then we'll evaluate and see if it's something we can do. Sure, absolutely. Thanks. 
this is board member mishra and i may be off topic but on the data requests this county study that was happening mm -hmm. of documentation of traffic stops started in 2020 what's the timeline on that study ended well it started during 2020 and because of covid there wasn't a lot of people driving so they extended the study for another year so it concluded at the end of december um they had we had some preliminary discussions in uh, i believe february or march uh this month is when the final report's supposed to come out so we're looking for that uh anytime hopefully um, this is board member minor uh in 2017 uh there was this traffic stop study done did you look at that information and compare it with what this the 2020 study was uh, this, doing? this was a study that was um done through the um cjcc and they contracted with uh, two professors from the east coast mm -hmm. and so i'm not sure what their methodology was if they looked at that or not eastern um because yeah. i'm i'm very familiar with the 2017 yeah. uh one and uh, was that a countywide study uh yes okay Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I don't have an answer for you, I, but I, understand. I think there'll be a public presentation of their report. Mm -hmm. So that would be a good time to ask them that question probably. Yeah. And if we do want to have some discussion about that, we can give, uh, give them a heads up yeah. in advance. So yeah. And we, we, there may be an opportunity for them to come to one of our meetings, or if you want to have a special meeting to discuss it, um, we could do something like that as well. Um, they've been real good about, um, making time in person and, and via zoom. So, one of the benefits of having Zoom. And it's a really, it's a good discussion to have. And, and like I said, you may want to consider a special meeting for it because there's there's so much that goes into it. And uh, we were uh, in Missouri, we've been collecting data since uh, 2001. And um, the way the data was collected here, I think was a better way to do it. And I think it offers you much more opportunity for um, determining if you have officers who are, um, uh, racially profiling motorists or, or something like that, uh, more so than you do in Missouri. Um, Missouri just kind of collects it. They send it to a, a state uh, appointed researcher to analyze and really all it does, is they're just collating. They're not really analyzing and then they spit it back out. Um, here, we'll, we actually have uh, access to the data and uh, we'll be able to do some more, um, more robust analysis here, I believe. Board Member Taylor. Board Member Murray Taylor. So I found your citation. Um, Tanya Selvin. Um, it's KSA 22-4611A. It's where um, the city can develop a comprehensive plan in conjunction with its community advisory board um, on preventing racial and bias-based policing. And so what it does is it lays out various requirements that you'd have to, we as a city would have to meet um, in that plan for addressing uh, racial and bias-based policing specifically. Um, and you'll see on the annual report for the AG's office, there's a question that says, does your city have a comprehensive plan? plan. Yes or no. And we've always answered no, because no. we don't have one. But that was something that we had talked about as a group um, a year or so ago mm -hmm. about whether that could be something that the city of Lawrence could have. And that's 22-46-11A? Mm -hmm. 22-4611A, yes. Oh, four, okay, no dash there, okay. Yeah. All right, thank you. Thanks for finding that, Marie. Thank you, Marie. Oh. <laughs> All right, any other discussion from uh, Chief Lockhart's reports for us tonight? Another question, board member Bickford. Um, it's PC22-022. 
says threat of charges to gain compliance. It says exonerated. The complaint is that this activity was done in violation of a policy. And the conclusion is that there was no policy pertaining to the complaint that was found, not whether or not the complaint was accurate. Um, so I'm wondering if during the investigation, whether or not you found that there were th charges threatened against this individual in order to gain compliance, because it sounds like that was the complaint, but the complaint was worded in such a way that this was done in violation of policy. Um, so I'm wondering whether or not the activity itself actually happened. Whether the threat occurred? Yes. The threat occurred, but it was not a violation of policy. Is that a common tactic in order to- um, It is, clients? yes. I mean, the, in this situation, the person was in the street and the officer asked him to get out of the street. Being in the street where a sidewalk is provided is a violation of the law. And in this case, the person refused to comply. Uh, the officer elected to use discretion and not make an arrest in that situation. Okay. Without the details of what charges were being threatened in order to gain was, compliance oh, yeah. of um, what compliance you are looking for, without a lot of detail, it's it's difficult to understand that. Yeah. The, the, the idea here is to just give you a, a high-level view. Mm -hmm. If you would like more specific information, we can do that, but we can't do that in a public meeting. Absolutely understood. Yes. Thank you. This is Board Member Minor. I think that that would be good because the information you, this additional information you provided would be helpful to understand the the whole picture. And, and what was going on there. Right. So you, we can do that individually. If you want to get a hold of Major Cooper, if you need further information, we can do that. We just can't do that in a public meeting. The idea of this report was to kind of give you guys an idea of what kind of complaints we investigate and to give you that snapshot. Um, the board is only reviewing bias-based and racial-based complaints, but I felt like it was important for you to see all of our complaints. So that's how this got started. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you making the clarification. Yes. Thank you. All right. Any other board discussion on this agenda item? Um, board member Marie Taylor, I, and I just want to thank you for bringing this on uh, proactively, even though it's not a mandated requirement for this board to even look at this information. And then, and then in doing that, you've also shared that with the public. Mm -hmm. So thank you. You're welcome. All right, do we have public comment on this agenda item? There was just so many lies here, I don't even know where to begin. Number one, OPA never contacts the complainant. I can't tell you how many complaints I've made. Caper, how many times did you contact me to consult me about a complaint? None. Chief, you exonerated Neff and made assumptions about what I knew at the time, but you never talked to me once. And that complaint that you were just discussing, we can discuss it as publicly as you want, because I put the video on YouTube. The man didn't like me following him, videotaping him doing his job. So he decided to threaten a, a charge to get me to stop doing that. In other words, it's 42 USC 1983. A threat to violate, it may be 1985, 1983. It's a threat to violate civil rights under color of law. And you just admitted to it, dude. You just admitted to it in a public meeting. What is wrong with you? OPA has never contacted me once about a single complaint that I have submitted. Never. And those phone calls? 
They come from no caller ID, unknown number. That's how police call us. I'm not going to answer that call. So screw you guys and your lies. You guys just sit here and told them that you consult the complainants. When did you call me, chief? Before you made that assumption. How about it, Casey? When did you call me before you let Daubert off the hook? Guys, these guys are lying to you. They're straight up freaking lying to you. And I'm going to come in here with a cart of documents next time. Because if I had all my stuff right here right now, I could pull out the actual documents that show it. And you're going to be excited to see your own documents right next to your picture, Chief, when I put out the video. I'm not playing this game with these people anymore. I've been told that I need to fear for my life because of you people. Are you coming after me? You going to kill me? Come get it. I'm ready to die for this. You got the wrong person, people. And if you're going to come in here lying, these people all just violated their oath to not only the department, the city, and the Constitution, but their oath as a civil human being to come in here and be honest. They won't talk about implicit bias. There's all these reasons why we can't measure that. You guys are full of shit, and you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. You didn't, you, you guys all underestimated me. All you people in with those badges underestimated me. You thought I was just some other jackass on the street that didn't understand things. I'm educated. I know things. I know how to do research. I'm investigating you. I've got my own mugshot book of every single one of you guys. And I'll add another one tonight since Miss Shipley came up here to the microphone. You know why I have that? So that when I talk to citizens about you guys, I can pull out the mugshots and ask them to show me which officer did it. Michael, can you wrap up in about 30 seconds? I'm done. Okay. You, they're lying to you guys. They're lying to you guys. And I'll prove it. Watch the video. Thank you, Michael. Do we have any other public comment on this agenda item? Jeremy Roth, Gushel, Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, pertaining to what the previous commenter said, it would make sense for the board to inquire if it were the case that this complaint was not actually followed through to the actual core of constitutional law, because you can have policy that you are allowed to threaten arrest if there's a crime, but we still have civil rights law, constitutional law. That's what the man was referring to, Section 1983, which came in post-Civil War when police officers and other public officials were conspiring with the Ku Klux Klan. So they were working in a private capacity, the Ku Klux Klan, but they were conspiring with public officials. So you could have a situation where it might be not against policy to threaten arrest for an action. But the constitutional a case law is that it's about similarly situated people. And it has to do with whether the, uh, the threat of the arrest was made in order to intimidate against a constitutionally pr protected right, such as the right of the press. That's a fundamental personal right. It doesn't belong to corporate paid people. It belongs to every single individual, just like freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. So just what I heard just now, it makes sense for the board to in further inquire about whether even if a policy was not broken internally, 
in, in the Lawrence Police Department, whether it was done in order to intimidate in relationship specifically to the use of camera, which is a very important thing that I think a good police officers of good faith would enjoy being filmed doing their uh, duty because they make their police department proud. So I would like to see some further interrogation of that. Thank you. you don't, you're advocating. Thank you, Jeremy. That was All right. Mission. Is there any other public comment? And I will find it. Okay, so we are through all of our agenda items for tonight. Um, I did want to give y'all heads up before the next meeting that we um, have talked a little bit about doing some um, some zooming out and looking at our current ordinance and working through it in a more systematic way. So coming to our meeting um, every month, if we do decide to continue meeting monthly um, with a, an easily understandable agenda and direction. Um, and so we wanted to talk about how to collaborate um, utilizing our current ordinance um, in order to kind of create a, a plan and a structure for our meetings. So that might be on the agenda for next month. And um, we'll give you plenty of heads up if, if that is the case. I wasn't able to meet with the chief and Brandon and Sanjay as we usually do before our meetings this month. Um, but we will um, discuss that and, and create a plan and let you all know. Okay. Oh, can, well, remember Marie Taylor, can you speak up? I keep uh, ending, I can't hear the end of your sentence. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, which part did you? What did you just say at the end of the last sentence? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. No, we didn't meet so. <laughs> oh yeah. We usually have like a pre-meeting meeting the week before our monthly meetings and we were unable to meet this month. And so um, we were planning to discuss kind of this broader level agenda planning okay. at our next meeting. Yeah. Board member Marie Taylor, the acoustics in this room are hard. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Anything else for tonight? Okay. I just want to thank um, everyone here with us for uh, answering our thank questions you. as, thank as you. best as you could. And um, really appreciate that. I know we put y'all on the spot a little bit, so we appreciate that. Um, do we have a motion to adjourn? Board member minor, I make a motion to adjourn. Okay. Do we have a second? Okay. All right. Let's have a vote. Um, board member minor. Board member minor adjourn. All right. Board member Salvini. Board member Salvini. Yes. Okay. Chair Robinson. Yes. Board member Mishra. Yes. Board member. Yes. Board member Murray Taylor. Yes. We are adjourned. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so thank much. you. Thank you.